Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about the ninth film from Paul Thomas Anderson. We are, of course, talking about Licorice Pizza, which is finally out in wide release. We actually recorded this episode a month ago, like back before I left for my honeymoon. Uh, I got to see it at a early screening. I was lucky enough to see it back then. And uh, guys, spoiler alert for the top 10 of the year episode, but um, this is going to be my number one by a wide, wide margin. I mean, this is my favorite movie of the year, hands down. And I am so excited to talk about it. Joining me is filmmaker Joe Black. You've heard him on the show a whole bunch in the past. And I know Joe loved this movie as much as I did, and so I was really excited to talk to him about it and really dig into what makes this thing so, so good. So we got that conversation coming up for you here in a second. Before we get to it, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods, and you can follow us on social media at piecing pod join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show and it is christmas when this is going up if you want to get me a gift uh you can leave me a nice little five star rating or review we would really appreciate it if you did that uh there's also the patreon produced by david rose and patreon where you get bonus and advanced content from piecing it together awesome movie year from my music career all kinds of great content over there on the Patreon. You can sign up for that. And we do appreciate all the people that are signed up already. Hopefully 2021 is about to end. 2022 will be the year that I fill that thing with a ton of new content. I am working on two new albums at the moment. I have a whole nother album ready to go. Um, lots of music stuff will be hitting that Patreon next year. And of course, continue to put more and more piecing it together an awesome movie or content on there as well so check it out produced by david rosen patreon.com slash by david rosen and with that said let's talk about licorice pizza joe black is back with us again how's it going joe oh it's been a while been a while good to hear your voice <laughs> It sure has. It sure has. Well, we're going to talk about Licorice Pizza today, and I am very excited to talk about this movie. I'm honored. I'm honored. I'm honored to be your guest for this episode. I mean that sincerely. So, yeah, I, you know, this movie, I, 
I'm a big Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I know you are as well. I mean, who really isn't? But uh, kind of snuck up on me a little bit. I mean, it was. I was looking forward to it because it was his new movie. But uh, at the same time, I don't know if I had quite the expectations going in for what I ended up getting. Yeah, um, I would kind of say same. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If only because this is his most like straightforward movie that he's ever made. I, w- I don't want to use yeah. the word accessible. Because that's right. a bullshit word, like like for his work. But it's the most. This is a straightforward movie. There's no yeah. guessing. There's no you know magical realism. There's no you know what I mean. It's just you know pure bones and wonderful. Just like yeah. radiates. I I I got to see it in seventy millimeter um, oh. at a guild screening, and and I don't know if I could ever see it any other uh, presentation. <laughs> I I so wish I could have come out for that. That that would be uh, incredible. But uh, yeah, no, this movie absolutely fantastic, and we will have plenty to talk about uh, as we're going through puzzle pieces and everything. So let's just dive right in, actually, and get to some pieces on this one. What do you have for your first piece? American Graffiti. Sure. Um, and and direct reference to American Graffiti actually at the beginning of the film when. He's in the bathroom at the very beginning, and he's and then kid runs out of the stall, goes cherry bomb, and the cherry bomb yeah. goes off. That's right out of the the dance scene from American Graffiti, um, and also just this not only a like a car culture feeling, but how music is so prominent in both films, and kind of it, music creates the soundtrack for their childhood, you know, yeah. um, and not just like music on the movie soundtrack, but music that they're listening to music that they're engaging with music. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I felt like he really captured that, uh, quite beautifully and like yeah. American graffiti, which although that movie only takes place in one night and this movie takes place on a timeline, that's a little hard to gauge, but, um, it's feels very episodic. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even coming of age as much as, as much as it's just a bunch of experiences crammed into one idea. And uh, it was so affecting watching this movie. Um, Unlike American Graffiti, which is just a lot of fun. Yeah, well, American Graffiti is a lot of fun and a great puzzle piece to uh, to kick it off with. And yeah, music really is the thing, I think, that kind of ties together all of our childhoods, really. And so, I mean, that's what makes it so effective in this. And you know, that is also why it works so well in my first puzzle piece, which is almost famous, um, Cameron Crowe, which I'm not sure where you fall on that movie, if you like it or not. I absolutely love that movie. Okay. Good, like, love good, it. Good. I think it's, uh, if only Jerry Maguire didn't exist, because if, yeah. <laughs> if Jerry Maguire didn't exist, it would be his best movie. But uh, unfortunately, that's still Jerry Maguire. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, I, I'm not sure how autobiographical any of Licorice Pizza is for uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, or just maybe the vibe of the era that, that he grew up in. But, um, you know, of course, Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous is much more autobiographical uh, with him landing the job writing for Rolling Stone and following bands around and all that stuff. But again, just the way that music kind of ties together someone's youth is is really just a thing that I think we all can relate to even right now, even though these are uh, everything we've mentioned so far are set in this specific period. Uh, and now, you know, we're growing up in a totally different age, but it's still music is the glue that holds everything together. And these movies really kind of just showcase that. 
It reminds me of Boyhood, which I hated and I don't want to use as a puzzle piece, but the way you're talking about it, that I Boyhood, the first like 30 minutes of it, the music that would that would be on the radios and stuff like that, that Boyhood is set at the time when I was, you know, growing up, you know what I mean? So yeah, like, yeah. And, and so the, hearing like Blink-182 and some 41 and stuff like that just on someone's boombox was very yeah. affecting and drew me <laughs> yeah. in for the first 30 minutes of that really long movie. <laughs> Very much so. By by the way, Licorice Pizza is is it mentioned at all in this? Because you've seen it twice now, and I didn't think it was. No, it's the not. One time I saw it, it's yeah, not. Okay. Um, I saw that interview with him where he talked about that Licorice Pizza was just like because Licorice Pizza is a, a record store chain, mostly in right. malls, mostly in California, and he said that like uh, two words that could just evoke the feeling of of that time in his life or people who grew yeah. up in that time in the valley. Like and um and there is a lyricism to it that is that is just so compelling. Yeah. Um so I I guess for me it would be Tower Records, but you know yeah, it would be <laughs> not for quite me, like the same. Turtles. I mean that was the record store that we had. Coconuts. Coconuts yeah. was our <laughs> Jacksonville record store. And of course Wax Tracks Records, but that would be a little bit too uh, specific oh, to me uh, personally. The dude, I, I gotta say I I've thought about that place every day since I went and I'm highly enjoying my Ani Cooney uh 45 nice. that you guys got for me you gotta we gotta utilize that spot man we gotta we gotta film in there or something like let's yeah let's make, we gotta do something let's make a, a high fidelity for the uh for the podcast generation in yeah a, right in that place <laughs> what do you got next okay next one i have is uh the graduate okay but not in the way that i think people will think that i'm thinking i said that right um Ben Braddock in The Graduate, Dustin Hoffman's character. You've seen it, correct? Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's this guy who he's just completed college, and he's, like, trying to figure out something's not right about his life, and he's trying to find his place and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that that was very similar to the uh, the main girl in Licorice Pizza. I mm. thought that she was very... Um, I I thought that she was kind of in a similar spot. Like, the school years are done. She's 26, so she claims. I think she's older. I think mm-hmm. that when she says she's 28, that that's like a slip up. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like, oh fuck, I just said my real age. You know, um, <laughs> but uh, but but so she's very similar to me as uh, as Ben Braddock um, in this movie. But she meets this kid Gary, who's only like you know 15 years old when she meets him, and like right out of the gate, like there's something fascinating about this. Well, to be totally honest about what he is, he's a fucking child. You know what yeah. I mean? But she's drawn to him. She kind yeah. of has she she has the same feeling about him that he has right out of the gate that like oh he's going to be important to me yeah you know what I mean for the rest of my life too because I'm one yeah. of those saps that believes at the end when they're like this is you know I'm going to marry that girl and blah 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 I believe that yep that's movies they're going to be together forever yeah. um, spoilers but <laughs> Ben Braddock my take when I saw The Graduate which I did not see until I was 27 years old was uh, 29 years old I just pulled in Alana Haim. Um, mm-hmm. uh was that the minute he meets Catherine Ross's character, he loves her instantly. He, you know, yeah. he's, he's banging Mrs. Robinson or whatever, and, like, he doesn't want to mess that up, you know. But then he meets her daughter, and they're forced to go on a date, and the second he sees her, I think he's like, shit. Yeah. She's going to be the one. So he does everything he can to, like, repel her at first. He's, like, wearing the sunglasses, being an asshole, takes her to a strip club. But he, like, hates himself for it because he, he knows he's pushing away destiny. And then when yeah. she runs out of the fucking club, which is the whiskey, um, he chases after her. And the rest of the movie, he's just like, 
no, like, and she knows it too. It's why the ending of the movie isn't creepy. Why it's not like he's stalking her or anything like that when he's following her at the zoo and all that. It's because no, we're supposed to fucking be together. The end. Right. Like, period. Yeah, yeah. And it's we, not I think, not you think. No, no, we are. That's it. Yeah. And that's how I felt about her in this movie too, where it's just like this constant denial because she doesn't want it to be true because she doesn't feel like a complete whole yet. But what she doesn't realize is what makes them each a complete whole is each other. You right. know what I mean? And they're young and their children are growing. And that's what marriage, as you know, is, is, is a bond. It's a rope. It's two strands coming together to form a tighter rope, you know, yeah. like a stronger rope. And um, so the graduate. <laughs> yeah. Also a banging well, soundtrack. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's interesting, this movie, you know, we're talking about it now before it has come out and even even in limited release. Uh, you got to see a, a, out there one of those 70 millimeter screenings, but it's coming out limited release uh, Thanksgiving. This episode will go up when it comes out in uh, wide release, which is Christmas. It'll be interesting to see how people react to a romance between basically a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old in this movie. I have a feeling it's not going to be so cut and dry, even with this being just such a kind of perfect and realistic romance of two people and the way that things kind of go sometimes. I disagree, actually. I think it will go over very well. I, like, you I, think, you, know, you think it, nobody is going to have a problem with it? Well, of course, the word nobody is, 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 is an impossibility. But mm -hmm. I think that the consensus will... Because... What he does better, what Paul Thomas Anderson does better than anything else in this movie, which he does everything pretty on the money, um, mm -hmm. is that he convinces you of the same thing right out of the gate. You know, that they're supposed to be together. It's right. just what happens. You know yeah. what I mean? He, he makes you believe in love again. I know that sounds so cheesy. I get it, though. I get it, yeah. though. I mean, I, I said in my, my letterbox review, like, I started smiling at the beginning of this movie and just did not stop the whole time. I mean, my, my face hurt by the end. Absolutely. And that opening shot, this only happens very rarely in movies. And, um, but, like, the very opening shot, the way it's choreographed, the way it's written, the way it's performed, and the Nina Simone music underneath, like, all of the above, the opening shot, I was like, we're in good hands. We're fine. This yeah. movie will be good. I can yeah. feel it right out of the gate that he has a reason for what he's doing and he's firing at all cylinders. Yeah. Well, I'll go to my next piece, which I'm sure The Graduate was uh, a puzzle piece for, uh, and that is Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Um, I would say the Max Fisher character played by Jason Schwartzman, just the, the sheer oozing of confidence and just, uh, knowing everything and just putting that on everybody else. I, I think the Gary Valentine character here as played by, uh, Cooper Hoffman, um, is kind of the embodiment of that, although a likable version, whereas Max Fisher is kind of a shit. Uh, I, I think Cooper Hoffman creates this character that is, uh, just absolutely lovable even though he is kind of a shit but um <laughs> he's just great you know uh and and i think also just to add on to this um aside from rushmore i would maybe add a little bit of moonrise kingdom in there as well which i don't love as much as a lot of other people as far as wes anderson movies go but just the capturing of that that feeling of kids kind of trying to be adult and trying to grow up without any adults around to figure out what that means and how to do that. And so I, I think there's a little bit of Moonrise Kingdom in there as well. Uh, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom was the canary in the coal mine as far as I was concerned. Because mm. um, everything since has just been a fucking natural disaster. <laughs> but Rushmore, that was one of my pieces too. I mean, it's inevitable. Okay. But, um, you know, it's really funny, David. When that movie came out, 
um, Rushmore, I mean, so many people, uh, grownups that I knew, my uncle especially, they were all like, that Max Fisher reminds me of you. And like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I love that movie. When I was a teenager, Max Fisher was kind of my hero because uh -huh. he was willing to be as selfish. He was willing to be more selfish than I could ever be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm very determined. And I'm yeah. kind of all over the map and I'm terrible at school, but teachers loved me just like, right. you know, but, nice. but, but like, I would, I was never afraid to ask things of people or try to convince people of something, but mm -hmm. I never, I never would dare to encroach on people's boundaries on yeah. their boundaries the way that he did. But um, maybe not sneak into a window or anything like that. Well, see, that's another one of those things that like I, I listened to your guys' awesome movie year. Um, it was uh -huh. the first time I ever listened to awesome movie year. In fact, I was driving and it made me so upset that I don't think I'm going to listen to awesome movie year anymore for a minute. Be like, I'll go back to it one day because like the take on Max Fisher um, is so as far as I'm concerned, and obviously I'm coming from is so wrong on that episode mm. that. Jason was a little more in the money that he's a child, mm -hmm. right? He is a child. And right. the people who need to be taking responsibility in that film are the adults. And especially right. the scene where he goes in through the window, she knows what he's doing. Yeah. She knows from minute one what he feels for her. And she's frustrated with herself because she knows that it's wrong and bad for her. But like she, she says, you remind me of my husband, you know, mm -hmm. but we know that that's not a good thing because her husband doesn't seem like he was the best for her either, really, in a way. Sure. So when he comes to her window and she, she knows what's going on. And mm -hmm. when he kisses her, it's too real. Like, it's like, ah, I can't. She wants yeah. to entertain that. She wants to be loved by him. She wants to be idolized by somebody who reminds her of her husband. That's what she wants. Yeah. And I, I don't like um, Josh's take. Josh. Yeah I, yeah. I really didn't. I really didn't appreciate it because he started going in a direction and then he turned and just started. He's a bad person. He's a bad person. He's a bad person. No, he's a child who says mm -hmm. something's not right. Well, it, it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty established that Josh hates kids. So that's yeah. fair. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> yeah. fair. And, 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 and I don't know Josh at all. I know Jason a little like we've talked a little mm -hmm. bit. You know what I mean? So like. But uh, Gary in this movie, it's funny, the day before I went to go see this movie, um, my friend Damon Packard, who's a great filmmaker, you guys should check out his work, Damon Packard, Reflections of Evil, Fatal Pulse, this guy's kooky, like he's amazing. Um, but he, he saw it the day before me and he texted me, he's like, the main kid in this reminded me of you. I kind of thought the movie was a bit dull. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> but Gary, honestly, as an adult and watching it now, like I really did see myself in Gary more mm. than I did Max Fisher even when I was younger because he doesn't ever cross that line. You know what right. I mean? He, right. he, but, but unlike Gary, I was always focused on movies. Mm -hmm. Like it was always film, whether it was acting or being in them. That was the only discrepancy. You know what I mean? But it was always film. And I, my heart went out to Gary that he's so desperately searching for the outlet. Right. You, you know what I mean? Right. And, and, um, and I think that that's what Rushmore and, and this movie have more in common even than just the character themselves is that that character's goal is they're right. looking for what makes the most sense. This is the human version. Rushmore is the eccentric version. And I think sure. they're both equally successful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you got for your next piece? Well, that was my uh, another piece. But here, we'll move right on to this is a little bit of a weird one. Um, Vincent Gallo's debut film, Buffalo 66. Okay. Um, have you ever seen this film? 
I saw it once a long time ago, yeah. Oh, man, lucky you that one time because it's mm. great. That's one of those, yeah. you know, you look back on a lot of movies you discovered when you're like 13 or 14 that were like indie movies, and you look at them now and you're just like, oh, my God. You know, like, I can't believe I liked this fucking I Heart Huckabees. Oh, my Lord. Um, but uh, but Buffalo I, Six- I Heart Huckabees. Me too. I mean, let's be honest. But, yeah. but, but Buffalo 66 is one of those movies that, like, almost like Kevin Smith's clerks. Like if I saw that movie for the first time, you know, in my thirties, I would be like, wow, what a beautiful groundbreaking film. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's about a, for those of you who don't know, it is about a, um, a man who gets out of prison, um, and kidnaps a tap dancer played by Christina Ricci. And he tells her that, um, he's going over to have dinner with his parents and they don't know he's in prison. They think he's in the FBI and she's going to pretend to be his wife. Um, yeah. so he's holding her hostage, but of course she like falls in love with him and then goes on along with him on his journey to kill the man who put him in prison or who got him put in prison. He made a bad mm-hmm. bet on a, you know, whatever. I bring this up as a piece for two reasons. One, because like we're talking about, it's kind of a controversial idea for a romance to be born out of. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. She gets kidnapped by this guy who like, you know, his threat to her is so funny. He, when he's talking about being with his parents, he's like, if you do this for me, I'll be your best friend. But if you fuck this up, I will never talk to you ever again like it's it's so good but he, a lot of people like it's abusive it's blah blah blah. It, you know and yes if you're if you're looking at it from a place of judgment but you know people are just people and that movie is a controversial romance that ends in happiness mm-hmm. the 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 biggest surprise of buffalo 66 because it's a dark movie it's really sad the main character is dark and sad you know vincent gallo's character and at the end of the movie instead of spoilers instead of choosing to kill this guy he literally at at a strip club no less where the guy is he just walks across the street to a fucking cookie store mm. and he buys a bunch of cookies he spends all the money he has left on cookies and he gets one specifically that looks like a heart he's like whose mm. idea was it for the heart cookie and the old man behind him that was mine and he's like, he's like, oh, that's nice. That's, you know, and the movie ends with him going home and choosing her instead and them holding each other in their arms in a hotel bed as Sweetness by Yes Plays, which is like the <laughs> cheesiest song of all time. And that such an indie, dark, you know, blah, 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 ends in such, such bleeding heart romantic love. That's how I felt about the end of Licorice Pizza, mm. you know? Like when they embrace at the end and then he says, I'm the future, you know, you know, Alana Hart. And she's like, oh, you son of a bitch, you know? Yeah. Like I was worried that they were going to end on that line because I was like, oh, I mean, it's cute, but it's a little cynical, you know? Mm-hmm. But then, no, they cut to outside and then running in slow motion. I love you, Gary. Oh, oh, yeah. so good. <laughs> so good. Absolutely great ending. Um, and yeah, I, I, I need to, uh, I need to revisit, uh, Buffalo 66. I remember really liking it at the time and it's, uh, I think it's more than enough time since the last time I got to watch it again. Best trailer of all time too, man. The, the really, heart, I, I don't the, know if I've ever seen the trailer. The, the trailer is just two minutes of stills from the movie cut to, um, house of the sunrise by uh, heart, <laughs> uh, by uh, heart of the sunrise by yes. Okay. Um, it's so, so rad. I'll send you a link. That's awesome. Uh, okay, well, speaking of, of romances, this is uh, about as mainstream as you can get, but I thought of The Notebook oh. um, from Nick Cassavetes, Nicholas Sparks, uh, but just the way that Gary and Alana are never in a right place for each other throughout the whole movie, and uh, just back and forth, back and forth, there's always something in the way of them being together uh, until the end, you know? And, uh, you know, this 
goes on to the very, very end, the notebook, of course, but here we just get that little snapshot, but uh, similar similar trajectory, trajectory for their romance. Uh, David, you're talking my language now. <laughs> I The notebook, I am madly in love with that movie. Um, it was the film that introduced me to Jenna Rollins as an actress who I, mm. you know, as people who may have listened to this or know me know that Jenna Rollins and her husband, John Cassavetes, is the two most important artists uh, in my life. Um, and I did get to work with her eventually one day, which was the greatest honor of my life still. Amazing. Yeah, it really was like, like, you know, it was, it's the, the biggest, the greatest career or artistic honor of my life. Um, the notebook is a masterpiece. Like uh, the notebook, it's, great. It, it, it's a movie that, um, it's a movie that gets criticized because of all the other movies like it. Right. Like right, right. It, it, and and I felt that similarly about Jason Reitman's new Ghostbusters too. That like mm -hmm. a lot of the criticism comes from all the other nostalgia cash grabs. You know what I mean? The 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 notebook is hurt because people just loop it in with every other cheesy romance movie. But yeah. that movie is so true. And it's such a movie. I mean, them going through the with the swans and on the rowboat, like I mean I I have a fun memory to share. You can cut this if you'd like, but it's a fun memory for me. I put it on one random Tuesday night at like midnight in my apartment. Mm -hmm. My buddy Will, as soon as the movie's starting, the opening credits starting, Will just walks into my apartment. He lived in the apartment across from mine. And he was like, he's like, I brought you some McDonald's. What's this? And I was like, this is a notebook. And he's like, oh, I heard of this. And he tosses me a McDouble and he sits down on the couch behind me. And we don't say another word till the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. And when the movie is over, it's like three in the morning. I looked to him and he goes, that was real good. And I was like, wasn't it? <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. That is very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Good piece. Oh. Awesome. Well, what do you got next? Uh, you know, I mean, this is so uh, odd for me because usually I'm just so loaded with pieces, but I only have one more uh, okay. off the top of my head, which is, um, oh boy, it's uh, Woody Allen's uh, 1979 masterpiece manhattan mm. um have you ever seen it uh again uh, it's been a long time i definitely i i watched my entire woody allen box set uh probably around 2021 or something like that but i haven't seen that one in a long time wow uh you have a box set that's fun i wonder what ones are in that box set yeah. um yes i mean we'll we'll <laughs> it's hard not to talk about the real life controversy let alone sure. in regard to manhattan where mm. Woody Allen plays a 42-year-old in a relationship with a 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, that being said, it is mm -hmm. my favorite Woody Allen movie. I think it's one of the best romances ever put on screen. Um, and Rebecca Hall at one point claimed it was her favorite uh, movie of all time, which oh. only You guys added... should watch that together sometime. That's a great idea. Let her know <laughs> for me. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, it, when it came out, um it was uh hum it was his it was not really his follow-up to annie hall but it was because he made a movie in between a movie called interiors that nobody saw and the people who did didn't like um mm -hmm. but manhattan was a blockbuster like yeah. mega smash hit nominated for every award under the sun didn't win any it lost best picture to kramer versus fucking kramer which is a good movie mm -hmm. but i mean come on but it's a film where he's dating a 17 year old who he doesn't take seriously and he has a best friend who is having an affair with this woman. And when Woody meets that woman, he falls in love with her. So 
he drops the 17 year old to be in a relationship with the woman his friend was having an affair with Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. And um, he thinks, uh, he even says this every, uh, she's a basket case, Diane Keaton. And he says at one point, every guy thinks that they're going to be the one to change her. You know what I mean? Um, d- yeah. d- and uh, she ends up betraying him by dating his friend again. And then his friend decides he's going to leave his wife and they're going to run away together. It's like a whole complicated mess. And the end of the movie is Woody Allen's character alone talking about into a tape recorder about all the things that make life worth living. Mm-hmm. And he specifically remembers that girl, the 17 year old Tracy. He's like Tracy's face or Tracy's smile. And he has a sentimental moment with a, a gift. She gave him a harmonica and he runs across Manhattan to, uh, to be with her much like in licorice pizza. And yeah, yeah. when he gets there, she's leaving the country. Mm-hmm. She's literally on her way out the door to go to, uh, to go to England for six months as part of an acting thing. And she's 18 now. And he says to her, you know, I've realized like I was wrong. I'm, I should have taken you seriously. I love you so much. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, great. Like, let's, you know, when I get back, let's pick it back up where we left off. And he's like, what mm. are you talking about? No, don't go. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like six months, six months is forever. And she says like, you know, six months isn't so long. You just have to have a little faith in people. And the movie ends with his, like this shot of Woody Allen where he like knows how the real world works. But that's kind of what he loves about her in general is that she doesn't. So, like, mm. it, that's the note that the movie ends on. And, you know, I don't want to get into the whole controversy thing because, like, the movie actually clearly explains what it is about her that he's so in love with and what it is about, like, a mentor relationship that appeals to him and whatever. But like this movie, I think that um, I think that it is that similar controversy of, controversy of the age thing. And I'd be curious yeah. to see if you're right, if it becomes a, like a thing that people comment on, because, you know, it, it would be interesting to explore the idea of a double standard of if the woman is older, does that change things? Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Does, does that shift the perspective? That'd be an interesting thing to see unfold in a, you know, a, a social kind of commentary kind of way, like a communication. But what I, what I love about the ending of Manhattan is the antithesis of the end of this movie, but the movie lover in me loves the end of this movie, where it's like, nope, they're together forever. Like, yeah. they're, they're, it's magical movie ending, like, you know, Alana Hart and I Love You, Gary, as they run in slow motion, you know what I mean? Um, so it's really interesting yeah. that they diverge at the very last second, but I love them both equally. Yeah, I, I, I do think that the optimism of whether or not they're going to be together forever in this, I, I think it, it the movie gives you that if mm-hmm. you maybe didn't have it going into it because normally i would i would think like they're not going to because that's the way life works you know what i mean it's just like this this one great you know memory that these people would end up having but no the movie makes you want to believe that yeah and 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 i think that your your um piece of the notebook is very telling that like the yeah. notebook came to mind when the notebook is the most romantic movie like ever made so much so that yeah. the two characters literally died together the same night holding each other in an old folks home you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah that so like it really does um channel that romantic inside of you and i think that that ending is so beautifully cinematic because it reminds you of like like movies are a way to get things right yeah sometimes you know and 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 this movie captures that better than seriously than any movie i can think of in recent memory like truly like i I can't remember the last time a movie so perfectly captured that idea and feeling and made it truthful 
you know i think this is you know me inherent vice is my favorite paul thomas anderson movie it's nowhere near his best but it's my favorite i think this is the best movie paul thomas anderson has made since magnolia if Mm -hmm. not since if not since uh, boogie nights even you know what i mean this is um and it's interesting that it's a movie about children because Mm -hmm. he always seems to kind of gravitate more toward characters who are kind of children you know right. what I mean? Like, whether it's Dirk Diggler or all of Magnolia is about children, in a way. And that's why I hated Phantom Thread so much, because, like, I felt it kind of tipped over into, like, this guy needs to grow the fuck up and stop abusing people. And mm. he won't. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, but this, I, I think that he really found, um, he really hit it on the head with this one. And I think it's a masterpiece. So I got two more pieces here um and uh they both are on kind of different ends of of where this movie goes i'll i'll go with one first that we haven't even really talked about much that's once upon a time in hollywood quentin tarantino's Mm -hmm. last movie um just the love letter to hollywood of a very specific era and everything that comes along with that and you know, we, we haven't really gotten into like any of the little side characters and stuff like that. Sean Penn and, and, and Bradley Cooper and all these these people who are either actual Hollywood people or, or people that are just based on them. And uh, just all of the adventures that the main characters get into through their interactions with these people. And, uh, you know, they're very different movies, but they both do celebrate that particular moment of Hollywood and, and they have like a real reverence for all those real parts of Hollywood. Yeah. I, I, it's funny when, when I saw um, once upon a time in Hollywood, I actually thought of it as not only a companion piece, but almost a response to inherent vice. Yeah. Like they, they seemed like two movies that work together, like, like Mm -hmm. on purpose, you know what I mean? And, um, and this movie, I did feel that same thing for the reasons you just mentioned, you know, but also, just in what they're saying, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like I think that like once upon a time in Hollywood is a movie about the romance inherent vice is a movie about how the romance died. And then licorice mm-hmm. pizza is a movie about how the romance is reborn, you know, f- from the true Hollywood, which is the Valley yeah. because that's where all the movies in Hollywood get made. You know what I mean? Um, so like, I think that they work beautifully as a trilogy uh, in that way. Um, and yes, all the little, like Bradley Cooper, if ever somebody deserved an Oscar for five minutes of screen time, it's him in this movie. He's <laughs> so goddamn good. He, see, he would have been good to play Jared Leto's character in House of Gucci. Mm. Like, he knows how to embody the silliness of John Peters, play it to a 10, but mm-hmm. also be a human being, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that kind of leans into this, and and we don't have to get, like, too much into it, but part of what... I, I feel connects these two also is some of the rougher edges of what that era of Hollywood are. And that includes John Peters being this, you know, kind of sex pest kind of character, you know, uh, you know, includes of course, again, the 15, 25 year old romance, which I mean, we look at now as, as a problem back then, most people probably wouldn't have even batted an eye at something like that right. and then also john michael higgins character with the like insanely racist you know stereotypical voice i mean these are things that were characters 
at this point in time. Yeah, you know, he, he's man, he's so good in this movie, John Michael Higgins. Um, he's so good. When Tom Waits popped up on, I mean, obviously, you know, my Tom Waits tattoo would lead everybody to understand that when I saw him in the trailer, that's all I could think about afterward. Sure. Um, yeah. When he popped up at like the exact halfway point of this movie, I like grabbed my heart with excitement, like I was so excited. <laughs> and then immediately after I did it, Tom Waits in the movie did the same thing. Yeah, he does that. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh my God, that was to me. Who's Sean Penn? What are you talking about? But I think that, and then you got like Lucille Ball at the beginning, but going under, it's it's interesting that he chose to like, he, he, he does the antithesis, he does the opposite of what Tarantino did, which Tarantino like tied his movie, his fiction into the reality of Hollywood. You know mm. what I mean? He kind of, PTA takes the reality of Hollywood and, puts it through a, a, a fictional lens because the woman's name is Lucy, but it's like Lucy something else. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it's interesting that he kept John Peters. Um, right, yeah. But, I mean, I'm fine with that because John Peters gave us one of the greatest films of all time. Another awesome movie year episode that I will not listen to because I know that they didn't like it. Uh, Wild Wild West. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, maybe admittedly I listened to a little bit of it, but I just did not so much to... <laughs> Um, but yeah, John... hey, if nothing else, at least it got me to finally watch it, right? Oh man, you are so lucky to see that movie as an adult. Like for the, it was your first time. It was my first time. God. I missed it when it first came out. God bless you. I mm. that to me is a perfect film. Like that's no. like well, not perfect. The cross dressing scene is is not good, but yeah. um, but I I actually use that scene as an example for a bunch of movies that are like radically out there. I like that people don't like. I always reference like it has a cross, it has a Wild Wild West scene in it, which is Wild Wild West is such a weird, crazy movie that like you're walking this fine line the whole time. Like, is this on purpose? What are they doing? You know, if you're like just a, you know, average film watcher. And then Mm -hmm. there's one scene in it that's terrible. And it's that Mm -hmm. cross-dressing scene. So that one scene tips you off of the fine line into a scale of this all sucks. If that scene wasn't in there, I think people would have loved the movie. And there's a lot of movies that have that scene in it. But anyways, back to John Peters. He's in there. Um, I, I think that I read Sean Penn is supposed to be kind of like a William Holden kind right. of character. And I think that that kind of works in a way. One, one problem I have with Tarantino's book of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I read, which is very good. It's, it's good. But it gets a little like Ready Player One-y. Mm. Where it just becomes like, I get it, dude. You know a lot about that and you like it. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah 60s TV actors. Cool. Can tell me a story. The movie doesn't do that, but the book does that. But maybe, sure. maybe, maybe that's why PTA did this, like to not distract from it. You know what I mean? Like right. not distract from, from, and also, you don't want to get sold as that kind of movie either. You don't want to be sold as like the movie that has like you know like when the trailers come up. You know, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is all about Sharon Tate and Charles right, Manson, right. and you know it's like. You don't you don't want that to happen. You don't want people to yeah. go expecting like, ooh, I'm gonna see, you know. Yeah. So this is about the main two characters and and that's that's what matters yeah. with this movie. But yeah, my, my last piece then um would not be a movie, but um basically American romantic rock songs, basically. Like anything like a like a Tom Petty song or uh, even like a John Mellencamp, Jack and Diane, you know, something like that. Just anything where you're getting these broad brushstrokes of a relationship just some of the best parts within the verses you know and you're not getting the whole story you're not getting the whole life of these people whether or not they actually ended up together or anything like that you're just getting these memories of two people that are in love that are falling in love and uh that 
I think kind of ties into the whole licorice pizza theme of mm-hmm. the title. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't agree more actually. Um, it's interesting that like a uh, movie, you know, we talked about movies fueled by music earlier and like I mentioned boyhood, but like days and confused is mm-hmm. another movie like that. But what's interesting about days and confused is that it's a movie that uses every top 40 hit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like the radio version of what you're talking about. Right. And right. it's interesting with you just talking about it right now, what what you just made me kind of like swirl in my head is that this movie is called licorice pizza, which mm-hmm. is almost like these are the albums that you invest in. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. about albums more than it's about uh, the radio, if you will. Sure. And, yeah, and, yeah. and the music in this movie is not, it's not like hits that you think of all the time. It's not, you know what I mean? I, what you just stirred up in my mind makes me appreciate the movie even more. That it's <laughs> it's about how personal music can be as opposed to sure. how universal music can actually be in a way. From both ends, from listening to it yeah. and from writing it, from the songwriting perspective. Interesting. As well. Yes, yes, yes. Like, yeah, like maybe like why you like why against all odds, you know, by Phil Collins, like you, when you hear that song, you know that he like went through that. Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like like that he had that experience, you know, versus something that's written by you know, 20 different writers now. And like, sure. I will say this though, the, the um, life on Mars drop in the movie, as good as mm-hmm. it goes with the images of them running down the row of parked cars. Uh, it was the one time in the movie that it felt like a little too needle droppy. Like mm-hmm. that was the one time where I went, eh, there sure is a lot of music, you know, dropping in this movie. And I, and I, I applaud him for thinking that he can outdo the life on Mars cue in life aquatic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because that is one of the best music cues of any movie ever. When Bill Murray right, is right. like, excuse me for a second, and it cuts to the crescendo as he walks to the edge of his boat and just takes one slow motion hit as the chorus ends and then goes back to Ned. Sorry about that, man. You caught me with one foot off the merry-go-round. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, it's interesting. I think your piece that you just said actually completely changed my whole perspective of my first piece of American Graffiti. Because American Graffiti is car radio culture. It's a communal culture thing. And I actually think what you just tapped into is that, no, this is a more personal connection with the memories and with the, with the art that uh, fueled who you are as an adult mm. um, from your childhood. That's, really, that's a really lovely piece, David. Well, I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we brought that one full circle there with yeah. uh, with American Graffiti with our first piece of the uh, conversation. So. Well, we forgot to mention too when we talk about Rushmore that that was Jason Schwartzman's first movie, and that's the, true. The two leads in this, I think, they're equally. I think that she's a bit more like um, he's he's. I think he's he, he's 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 a still a little green. You know what mm. I mean? And maybe it's because she's performed for so long. Yeah, like she's a little more at ease. I think he, I think, I think he he can amp it up just a little. He can give us just a little more, you know, you know. But um, Mm. but the movie doesn't work if they don't work, and they work like their performances are wonderful. They're just wonderful. They're just amazing to watch. They're I I I really Paul Thomas Anderson has been saying in interviews that he he hopes to work with them again. You know, and I just hope they continue to work. I hope that. This isn't just like a, you know, just a flash in the pan thing where like, oh, they they got to act in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and that's the end of it. You know, I hope we see them again. Yeah, I agree. I um, I agree wholeheartedly. 
Uh, it's it, this movie, like even just talking about it now, has got me so excited and like so stirred up that I even forgot to mention in my long-winded graduate thing that the ending of the graduate people always read is like, oh, what are we gonna do now? Oh fuck, the future's ahead of us. You know, did we just make a mistake? Mm-hmm. Is what people read it as like, oh, did did we just do the right thing? But I had a right. d- different read when I saw it as an adult, and I didn't know about like the ending contextually or anything. I felt the ending was like, oh fuck, now we got to take on the real world together. Like mm-hmm. I, I look at the ending of the graduate as they did the right thing and they know it. But now, like now that the now that that's out of the way, the hard part begins, which is making a life. Like yeah. you know what I mean? I think that Ben and uh, Ben and Elaine are going to be together forever. At the mm-hmm. end of that movie, I really do. I don't read that as like, did we just make the right decision? I read that as like, oh great, now we have to pave the path for ourselves. Right. Um, right. So. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna read down the finished puzzle here, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts here. There's a couple of things I wanted to uh, bring up still, uh, but the finished puzzle includes American Graffiti, Almost Famous, The Graduate, Rushmore, and Moonrise Kingdom, uh, Buffalo '66, The Notebook, Manhattan, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and American Love Rock Songs. Um, we talked about a few of them in there, but uh, you know, one thing that I really love in this um, that we didn't really get into in any of the puzzle pieces, but it just kind of goes to uh, to Gary's personality uh, is is how he's constantly starting new businesses throughout the run of the movie. I, I just think that's so much fun. I couldn't really think of like a puzzle piece to apply to that. That's why I just wanted to bring it up now. But I just think that's such a fun character thing to like you know he's selling water beds he's got a pinball arcade he's you know doing doing all these things yeah yeah yeah. and it's just uh i don't know it's just an interesting character thing and uh, i don't know if if, is there another movie you could think of that something like that applies well honestly rushmore because the whole thing is he's always coming up with the new clubs and like with the clubs yeah so yeah. I guess that that applies again back to Max Fisher a little bit. Well, and I like the way that Gary works. I think that's what I related to the most. I, you know, I've made fourteen features, right? Mm. Like feature length movies, and most people who I know haven't even seen them. But they're always like, "Man, I can't. Just, how do you even do it? How do you make them happen?" You know. And I describe to people, it's like being in a cartoon, and <laughs> you're running, and you run off of a cliff, right? Yeah. And you keep running in the air. But you only fall when you like stop and look right, down. Right, right. You know what I mean. So like that's kind of the that's kind of the the attitude you have to go in with. You know, and once a ball keeps rolling, like it has to keep rolling, otherwise it's gonna stop. You know. Yeah. And that's kind of Gary. Gary will see everything all the way through. Mm-hmm. You, you know. You know what I mean. Like, and he doesn't. He goes hard. Like, yeah. you know what I mean. Because the second you like take a break from it or move on, you know, like or try something, like it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean, and um, and I really, I really loved that spirit of this movie too. Yeah, spirit's a good word for it. Oh, for we could sure. have said taxi driver because how could you not think of taxi driver when she starts working at the uh, uh, just as a random when she starts working for the the uh, the uh, Benny Safdie yeah, character and and there's that creepy guy across the way and like the mm-hmm. guy who she's working with obviously loved him. I I was worried that the movie was going to take me in that direction. Like, which is kind of what I meant about the Buffalo 66 piece too. Where I was like, oh God, is this going to be a thing where this guy comes in and like shoots up the place and kills her or like, right. you know what I mean? Like, don't do it. Don't go there. And yep. then the movie at the end is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course I wasn't going to go there. Fuck you. It's funny that we would think that because I thought the same thing. And, and I mean, not that it's not obvious to think that, but like it, 
Paul Thomas Anderson, you would kind of especially think it, you know, to kind of like zig in a weird direction like that and, mm -hmm. you know, a dark direction. But yeah, he had absolutely no intention of taking us anywhere like that with this movie. God love him for it. Like, like, you know, I do love him, as you mentioned at the beginning of this thing. Like, I really do love him. But that being said, I don't think he's perfect by any means. I actually really don't like There Will Be Blood. I really don't like The Master. And I really hate Phantom Thread. Mm. But, and, and, and as much as I love Inherent Vice, it doesn't work, quote unquote. But what I love about him is that he's a filmmaker who's coming from a place of soul. And he speaks the cinematic language so fluently that he's searching for a way to do it that's more meaningful mm -hmm. than what we quote-unquote expect. Yeah. And sometimes when that perspective becomes an agenda, and that's when he gets into trouble as a filmmaker, as far as I'm concerned, mm -hmm. but when you keep that as your perspective, like Licorice Pizza, you just you can't go wrong. So like some of his best films, like Heart Eight and... Magnolia and Boogie Nights and 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 uh, even Punch Drunk Love, like those are the movies that work the best because he's being true to himself, not true to his intentions or not true mm -hmm. to his not true to his 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 agenda. You right, know what right. I mean? And um, this movie about children shows, in my opinion, a great maturation in him as a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, you know, and at the very least, a good reminder so that if he goes back to doing more experimental stuff, they're like, no, he's he's got it. You know what I mean? Right. And we need to match him on that level when we see his work. So. For sure. Well, I think that does it for Licorice Pizza. Joe, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yes. Um, keeping with a the music theme, I just saw a 1978 uh, Vietnam drug run thriller called uh, uh, Who'll Stop the Rain? Uh, based on the uh, CCR song, um, okay. and it's uh, got Nick Nolte in it and uh, Tuesday Welds, and it's about a uh, this uh, like artist playwright who got drafted in Vietnam went crazy over there because of all the horrible, ugly things, and he decides he's gonna like make a form of protest by drug running. Like he's kind of snapped his mind, so he's gonna run drugs out of, and he recruits his buddy who's just getting out of the army, played by Nick Nolte, to bring the drugs in for him. And dropped mm -hmm. him off, but Nick Nolte knows it's a terrible idea, and of course gets caught up in like this. It of course, goes wrong, and Nick Nolte ends up with the the playwright's wife on the run from the killers and from like crooked cops, and you know, um, yeah, it's very. Uh, it reminded me a lot. It's it's like a Rambo, you know, like like First Blood meets True Romance. If you could mesh those two movies together in your mind, oh, um, that sounds good. Yeah, it's on Tubi. Apparently, I saw it. I saw it uh, in a cool little private screening uh but 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 it's on Tubi if anybody wants to check it out it it it's really rad and Nick Nolte you sometimes forget because of all that's happened you forget what an incredible not only actor he is but he was a fucking movie star yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like he 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 was born to be in front of a camera so. Awesome. Well, Joe, why don't you tell people uh, about what you got going on with your films? And uh, by the way, at the time that this goes up, your screening here in Las Vegas will have already happened. But uh, for anybody who uh, happens to hear this on the Patreon, maybe let them know about the screening. Um, we, uh, yeah, had a screening that you all missed. And it went great. <laughs> yeah. It was sold out anyway. Or so is you, happening in the yeah. future if so, you're on the Patreon. So, 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 so yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> have gotten in. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but we're we're doing another screening in uh in Denver, Colorado, um, uh, right after Christmas at a little theater in Denver. Before we we're going to my wife's family. My wife is from uh, the Denver area, so we're going up there for Christmas and all of her friends and family. So there's that screening, and then we're just waiting to hear back every festival that we've entered in. I've never done the festival thing before, so we've entered into like 20 festivals, and they you hear back from all of them in like January. Yeah. So like yeah. we're about to get like a a hailstorm of like rejection, but maybe one or two little blips of like for real, you really like us. Um, yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. So, and and we're also trying to work now on getting some kind of like distribution deal for it. I've never distributed any of my movies before. If you want to see any of my other films, you can see them on my website, bluemeanspregnantfilms.com. They're all on there for free to watch. You know, they're just Vimeo links. But this one, we're actually going to try to like, I hate, I hate thinking of my movies as products, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't like that idea because I don't want to make sure. movies to make money. I want money to make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, but I under, I'm 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 slowly learning how to accept that in my life without allowing it to corrupt me. You yeah. know, you got to think a little more like John Peters, Joe. Oh, you, know, you gotta. If I thought like John Peters, <laughs> I mean that motherfucker was like Superman, of course, Batman, of course, Wild Wild West is the natural progression, and. Uh, <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, he's right. I mean, I like each one of those movies more than the last one. So yeah, <laughs> his first movie was the main event, right? With Barbara oh, Streisand, yeah? the boxing movie. Yeah. So just think of that. One of the most powerful producers in the history of this uh, of this industry. That was his first idea. Yeah. Where he's yeah. like, you know what? You know what? You know what I'm thinking? We put some gloves on Barb on Baps and get her get her sparring. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, thanks so much, as always, for joining me on the show, and uh, I always look forward to getting you back on here. I love being on here. Thank you so much. Come on, everybody. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about licorice pizza. Thanks, as always, to Joe Black for joining me on the episode, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, And by the way, I realized while I was editing this uh, that I brought up last week on the show Buffalo 66 from Vincent Gallo and on this episode which like I said we had recorded like a month ago Joe brought up Vincent Gallo's Buffalo 66 I guess I had that on my mind at the time uh, when we were recording the Red Rocket episode but anyway I should rewatch that movie one of these days well uh, as always I want to remind you all to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts you can of course do that on Apple Podcasts on Spotify Pocket Cast Good Pods all the places you can listen to podcasts you can subscribe and we have a lot of episodes coming your way including our end of the year things like the top 10 of the year like uh, Josh Bell is going to join me Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year to talk about our top 10 movies older movies that we watched for the first time in 2021 that's going to be another special episode we started that last year and we're going to do it again this year and of course you know we got the Matrix coming up we got Spider-Man we got all this stuff so uh, lots of piecing it together coming your way so make sure you're subscribed 
And while you're at it, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. We really appreciate the ratings and the reviews. And it is the holidays, so, uh, you know, it's a great little gift for me. If you enjoy what I do here on the show, leave a little five-star rating. That would be really nice. Um, you could also follow us on social media at Piecing Pod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Check out that Patreon I told you about at the top of the show, the produced by David Rosen Patreon. And, uh, you know, share the show. Get in touch. Let me know what you think of it. Uh, next year, there's like a lot of movies coming out. So get in touch if you want to maybe join me for an episode. That would be cool, too. I love hearing from people who enjoy the show and who want to join me for future episodes. So uh, definitely get in touch. So that does it. Let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do. This is kind of a tough one for me to find a uh, piece of music for. I'm not sure since I don't make anything that even sleeps anywhere near like uh, 70s rock. I, I don't know what of my tracks to play, but... I think I'm going to go with a track from my soundtrack album, Beater, original motion picture soundtrack that I put out last year, uh, which is a compilation of a feature film called Beater, the score from that, as well as some scores from short films that I worked on with the same director, Chris Johnson. Uh, This is from one of those short films, one called To Cherish the Time, and this is a track called Memories of a Time. So I'm going to play this track. I think it'll be a nice one to close us out with. So this is Memories of a Time from my album Beater, original motion picture soundtrack. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.